Fans and welcome back to the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and there is a faint pulse in our 2020 season, but we're not out of the woods yet. We still have to beat the Bombers convincingly this week, and then wait nervously while our fate is decided by others. Joining me tonight is longtime Demon Lander George. Good evening, George. Good evening, Andy. And I'm practicing the words of the Fremantle Football Club song for our match on, for the match on Sunday, in anticipation that they might do the job for us. Might want to learn the uh, the Giants uh, theme as well. There, um, I think. Um, also joining us uh, tonight, uh, long time caller to the show, Bin Man. Good evening, Bin Man. Good evening, Demon Landers, George and Andy. And um, yes, I think I might even practice the Suns. Um, theme song, although I can't even think of what it is off the top of my head. <laughs> but, yeah. I, don't, I don't know the Suns, I don't know the Giants, and I, I sort of know Freo, but uh, that's about it. And um, my movie quote this week, Andy, is um, so you're telling me there's a chance, Andy. There's, you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> yes. Well, there there is a chance, but uh, you know what? Uh, we'll go into it a bit later on, but I, I really I don't like having to rely on other teams. I'll take it if it, it comes our way. Um, but I don't like that we're in this situation. I like to have our fate in our own hands, which it still is a tiny bit, one part of it, but the the other part is not. And uh, it's not even like there are teams that we can reliably rely on. So we'll, we'll talk about our, our run home and all the permutations uh, that get us into the finals a bit uh, later on. Uh, but first... We love hearing from Demon Landers, so if you'd like to join the program tonight to discuss any of the topics that we talk about, you can give us a call on 039016366 or Skype us at DemonLand31. If you're listening to the show live, you can join us in our chat room where you can ask questions or post comments by heading over to demonland.com slash podcast. If you're listening to this show at your leisure via SoundCloud on demonland.com or via an Apple or Android podcasting apps, be sure to subscribe to the podcast to receive updates when a new show drops. Don't forget to leave us a favourable review to help more people find us. We're also on Spotify and Stitcher so you can get the show that way too. Just head over to demonland.com to find the links to your preferred listening method. You can follow us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash demonland31, on Twitter at demonland, on Instagram at demonland31, or on YouTube just search for Demonland Podcast and listen to some of the interviews that we've conducted with current and past players and coaches. Or if you just love talking about the D's 24-7 all year round, why not join up to demonland.com and chat with other D's fans about this once great club. Really should change uh, that, because um, this week I'm actually happy about the the D's. Um, and uh, it was as a result of our win on the weekend. Uh, boys, it's a much better feeling uh, winning than, than losing. Uh, uh, B-Man, uh, how, how was your mood uh, on the weekend after the the game, oh, yeah, I was well, well and truly up. Um, I had dinner with the family before the game, and um, my son and daughter are both sort of vaguely Melbourne fans, but have never embraced it 
uh, with any passion, I have to say. And um, my son said to me before the game, you know, why do I barrack for Melbourne? And I misinterpreted what he said, to, um, you know, suggesting that maybe I should swap teams. I said, oh, you can't, you can't do that. That's just not on. That's just you're not allowed to. He said, no, I don't mean that. But why do you follow them with such passion? I mean, <laughs> and, and I didn't really have a ready answer for him. Um, although if he'd come in with about two minutes to go after Rivers put that wobbly kick through on his left foot, and me screaming at the television, he might have had some idea of the uh, passion. So, yeah, I was well up and about after that and, um, you know, fantastic win, wasn't it? It was, George. Uh, your, your weekends are always uh, better after a win. Oh, there's no doubt about that, Andy. Um, the dog's much happier. Um uh, there's less screaming at the television and she can go to the other end of the house um, and, and sit down there quietly. My, I'm very fortunate my wife doesn't care anything about football, so um, she's happy to be down the other end of the house as well. But the weekend's always much better when the teams win. What about you? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it's funny because this year, every game we've had to watch uh, from home and uh, the room that I watch in is uh, my, my daughter's bedroom is right next to it. And um, I, I don't know how she slept through because most of our games have been night games. I, I really don't know how she slept through some of the screaming and shouting and carrying on that that I've done uh, during games. Uh, I must say, I, after the game, my, my heart was just absolutely racing. I remember, if you remember, earlier on in the year, I, I had my uh, my watch alert me to a, a very high heart rate. Uh, um, I didn't quite get that alert this week, but um, I went into my wife and I said, feel my heart. <laughs> it was just absolutely racing. And, uh, you know, because sort of when we're in, when Melbourne's in that situation, I, I often just assume it's gonna, we're going to, we're not going to lose, and it was great to to get the win out of it. But uh, yeah, my my heart got a good working out uh, this week. Uh, well, let's talk about some uh, individual efforts um, uh, from some players. And first off, my my absolute favourite player at the moment. Uh, he, my favourite player was Maxi. It probably still is, but Stephen May is. Every single week, he's getting uh, closer and closer to taking taking that off. Uh, Maxi, uh, what a huge game from May! He's just solid, a solid brick wall in defence. You know, uh, Track has had a stellar year and will probably win the best and fairest. But boy, does Stephen May deserve it! Um, he's been phenomenal in defence this year. It, it, even the games where we've lost, he's been a rock. Uh, he deserves recognition this year. I really want him in the conversation for All Australian. Harris Andrews probably gets it. We've talked about that. You know, the media's in love with Brisbane. But but I want some love bestowed upon May. I really hope at the very least he, he gets in the All-Australian squad. Um, B-Man, uh, uh, Stephen May, you got love for him too? Uh, total, uh, total, total man, total. as they say. Um, the... Um, the thing I've loved about him for pretty much all season, but particularly in the last four or five weeks, is uh, his leadership. And, you know, we've been crying out for it at different times at the footy club. Um, and his leadership in this game as well, he was not only, as you said, resolute down there, he's like a wall and, you know, he was picking those marks off. He's really clunking those one-on-one -on -one marks as well. Um, you know, again, that you'd be frustrated if you're an opposition fan of them continually kicking it to him at the contest and him marking it. And, when that happens to us, I often think, you know, in previous years, 
that's what I want is a player back there who can just take those repelling marks. But um, just his body language, his um, general sort of will to um, uh, want to win. Um, and I thought there were terrific comments by Rivers after the game about uh, May's been in his ear all season about defending more strongly. And, um, um, yeah, I just loved him, his whole attitude. And he's a real Melbourne man now, isn't he? Absolutely, George. Um, uh, seven intercept marks, uh, seven intercepts, four intercepts marks. I think he's had eight marks in total. Um, the the I'm pretty sure the 467 metres gained, uh, which was the highest for the Ds, is probably as a result of him kicking out. Um, but he had a huge last quarter. Um, you must also have a bit of a man crush on Stephen May. That's exactly the word. Um, took him right out of my mouth there. Um, yeah, he's he's been everything that we've ever wanted as uh, in a full back and uh, sort of as general of the of the back line as well. The other thing I particularly like about him is not only just the way he marshals all the players around them getting in the right position, but he knows when to go and when to when to stop, yeah. when to mark it and when to punch, um, and he's he's just so reliable now. Some people might complain about the kickouts always going to the same area down the wing, but you don't get um, those critical turnovers that other players in the back line are unfortunately doing every now and again. Steve, Stephen May's just every week it's the same. You get you get just reliability, assurity, and boy, you know, could could we have used him a couple of years ago? But uh, we've got him now, and hopefully he'll be around for quite a while. A few weeks ago, George, you mentioned that you sort of had noticed a bit that he he started off kicking all right in that first quarter. He generally kicked well for the match and um, there was a couple of turnovers in this game where he missed targets, but on the whole, his kicking was excellent and there was one where he kicked to the centre corridor, which didn't hesitate on it. And um, He's, uh, you know, he's got a really neat um, kicking action, but the thing that I really like about his kicking is his depth. Off one step, he can clear 50 to 60 metres pretty easily. And that's super important when you know, it becomes more than a bailout kick then because even if it does, um, you know, go to a contest down the line, that's a down-the-line contest 60 metres from goal. And I think that's in a territory game. It's super important. Absolutely. Um, uh, next one I want to talk. I want to talk about quite a few of our, our young guys. I uh, thought they were really important on the weekend. Uh, Trem Rivers uh, talked this kid up last week as being my only positive on a on a dark night. Um, and it's early day. You know, I want to lock this kid away. It's it's early days. I don't want to put the pressure on him. But he, he really has three hundred games and leadership written all over him uh, in his future. Uh, two goals, um, the match winner, um, the winning fist away at the end. Um, uh, George, uh, your thoughts on Rivers and, and maybe what you think he, his role uh, is going to sort of uh, evolve into? Yeah, he's a real ripper, isn't he? He's um, come into the side in his first season and basically locked that position down at um, – sort of the half-pack flank area. Um, it's a nice match now that we've got with uh, Salem on one side and him on the other. Two reliable kicks, which is what we've been missing again for a long time. Um, and his, will, his willingness just to go at the ball when needed. Uh, in the, everybody would have seen the replays of that last two minutes. And um, after after the Rivers' goal, um, he's then gone, gone into it again and, and basically s- twice in the matter of probably... 
10 or 15 seconds, stopped the GWS players moving the ball forward with a uh, a spoil that probably a first-year player wouldn't be entitled to consider getting to, but he got to it and stopped it. And then he had another tackle um, straight after that. He, he just doesn't stop. He keeps going. And his delivery is just, just fantastic. And he's... And, He's, he's got that natural footballer ability to read the play, particularly up up the ground. So, yeah, he's he's been a great addition to the side to the side as a whole. It's just um, one of the positives of the of what we got out of the draft last year, as, alongside Pickett and and uh, Luke Jackson as well. So, the other the other thing that was interesting. I thought um, between Rivers and Salem, they kicked a quarter of the team's goals this week. So uh, in the absence of uh, the forwards doing the job, the halfbackers are, are filling in. Uh, I hope the, hope the forwards do a little bit better next week and don't rely on those sort of returns. Uh, yeah. Uh, B-Man, you want to add anything about uh, Rivers? Uh, just a couple of things. He's um, Last week there was some comments on Demonland that um, there were some concerns. He was sitting by himself and Lever and um, May were sitting across the room and it was, you know, I thought it, it, that was straight after the game, so I'll excuse the, the comments really. Um, but who knows what had happened prior to that. Um, but what I actually took from that footage was how upset he was at the loss. Uh, and I thought to myself at the time, that's a kid who, like May, <clears throat> hates losing um, and that's the way he played that game uh, this week. He, he played like a player who hates losing and was going to um, um, do whatever he could to make sure that uh, he played his part in uh, ensuring that we didn't lose. Um, and <clears throat> I, all year of when he's been in, I've loved his confidence with his kicks. Even after he's made some mistakes, he's still been aggressive with his kicks, particularly ones um, taking on that corridor kick. Um, been super impressive. I went to that practice game we played, it seems like another century ago, um, at Arden Street in the preseason. Uh, and he was really impressive in that game, taking on uh, those aggressive kicks as well. And, um, you know, I loved after he got that set shot from the free kick from Mumford, how he had both hands in the air and, you know, his fingers in the air. And, um, yeah, in that last um, 30 seconds, not only did he spoil, but right near the end, the ball kicked loose from that that spoil and uh, they picked it up and he threw himself at the contest, um, which spilled the ball again when Track came through and got that sort of second-to-last disposal off to um, Langdon. But it was just sheer desperation and, you know, that's what you want from every single um, player on the team and for it to be a first-year player in, what, his sixth game of foot, AFL footy, um, you know, you, you, can't, you can't manufacture that sort of will to win, can you? Yeah, there's no no fear at all with him. He, he'll throw himself into a contest and that's what I love about him. Um, uh, next one I want to talk about, uh, uh, Charlie Spargo. Um, I, w- I was impressed with Charlie's game. He, he didn't have huge stats, uh, but it's the type of footy that I want to see from him. Uh, pressure, running into space to provide a link across half forward. He, he's kicked two goals. Um, I, I'm, I was happy with his game, um, sort of his had that cameo against Collingwood and uh, he sort of hasn't done much else, but I was much happier with this game uh, from him, Um, uh, George. Yeah, um, have to agree with that. It was interesting. I looked through, again, a few of the stats. He had about the same on-ground time as Neil Bullen and Hunt. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there was a chalk and cheese difference between the outputs, um, between the three of them, you know, uh, Spargo uh, 
had 13 disposals, um, Neil Bullen nine, Hunt five. Um, but Spargo also had five marks and two tackles, um, which was much more than the other two combined as well. So um, he's he's the man we want in that small forward position. It seems he's prepared to prepared to put in, and and he's topped it off with a couple of goals. So um, yeah, he's he's doing a a great job, and I think he's got the job for um, it's his for the taking up forward because I don't think we've got very much else in the way of competition up there, unfortunately, at the moment. Just with Spargo, Andy, that he's running uh, up the ground is super impressive. The, um, he he really pushes up hard up the um, to help out at the defensive end, um, and his tackling has been really strong. I, I lo- really like his around the ground field kicking as well. He's he's a really neat kick, but you just can't underestimate how important. Um, obviously, the two goals he kicked were, but they were both goals that you need to get. That sort of as we talked about a few weeks ago. They're the ones that if you miss, it has such a deflating effect on the team. And he went back and slotted the first one after a beautiful bit of transition footy, um, balanced up and um, pretty much from the same spot. His second shot was, you know, it must have been right on his range. Um, and uh, he, he made the distance all right, just he just got it over the top of Mumford. But I had to laugh with his his reaction. He's had a wry grin on his face afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty like muted. He wasn't um, sure whether he was, was like he well, wasn't sure he was no, going to. Uh, I'm not sure, but he celebrate. He certainly what didn't celebrate like someone who, uh, you know, was uh, kicking a clutch goal. And um, yeah, all power to him. Um, well, since we brought up um, a couple of players, Nibbler and Hunt, I thought Hunt just did two things in the game. There was one which I'll talk about when I talk about Cosy Picker, where he ran the length of the ground. Um, and he also he's kicked a goal as well. But other than that, he was barely sighted. Um, and, and Neil Bullitt as well just seems to run, run around and run around and run around, but really isn't adding anything. I mean, if you're only going to get a handful of possessions, you maybe got to impact the scoreboard or something like that. Where, where are we with those two guys in particular? Uh, George might start with you. Um I, I'm not a fan of Neil Bullen at all. He's been running around and running around for two years now. People always say he puts a lot of pressure on, but that was in 2018. Um, he, he, ha- he doesn't get to the man. He doesn't put the pressure on. He's not in their face because he doesn't get close enough anymore. Um, he's, unfortunately, he doesn't have the necessary skills when the pressure really comes on. He's not a great user of the football. Um He's always seems to be around when somebody else kicks the goal. He's always first in to be able to high five someone, um, <clears throat> but um, no, he, I, he doesn't add the value that's needed up up forward. And unfortunately, um, uh, you know, the the question is who who else do we put in there at the moment? Um, uh, it's difficult to to see any others coming through. Pickett's obviously got the the other side sewn up pretty well, but uh, I don't know that A and B adds adds all that much to us. Um, either around the ground or up forward. And um, when you've got the same amount of time and the limited amount of time on the field, you've got to do everything at 110% um, in order to, to impact the game. And he's, he's just not doing that at the moment. And unfortunately, Hunt's in the same boat, I think, that um, um, he's, he's just not, apart from that, that one uh, passage of play, I didn't notice him at all. And... Um, what was really telling, I think, um, in terms of, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about it later, was in that last two minutes, 
the coaches on the boundary line trying to get players to get into the right positions, um, one of whom was Hunt. And you say it should have been uh, a natural footballer's first um, thoughts to to get to the back of the um, pack. You don't need to be sitting in the forward line when we're five points up. We need to be stopping them from scoring in those sort of circumstances. And I don't know that the coach needs to be telling players like that to do exactly what he was telling him to do. Be man. Yeah, look, I mean, A and B is an interesting one because, again, as we've talked about any number of times, really, is the you know without being able to see how much running they do, um, his his ability to run and cover and defend and be part of that defensive all team defensive run, uh, I think, is probably pretty important. Um, perhaps Hunt as well. Um, I'm more worried about Hunt really than A and B. I, I see all the knocks on A and B, and you don't, don't disagree with anything you said, George. But uh, I do wonder whether um, um, you know that running is a really key factor in terms of keeping him in the side. The ability to get across, you just you just don't see it. Although interestingly, on the TV coverage, there are a few more down the ground shots, but nonetheless, you don't really see the impact. Um, though in games we do lose and he plays for, I don't know what it is, but he's sort of constant opening his mouth like a goldfish starts to, <laughs> I'd, I'd drop him just for that, I reckon. But, uh, he's, allowed to, he's allowed to breathe. Uh, yeah, that, and I, yeah, I'll fully admit that's my issue, not his. Um, but Hunt's a different, you know, kettle of fish and, I mean, he just doesn't get enough impact on the game and uh, that was a nice snap he kicked. Um, so that was an important goal. Um, you know, I, I think up forward really is his only position because there's not really space in the game now for that player who sort of runs off into space because there's no space to run into with the teams getting back and, and setting up their zones and his uh, field kicking is just not strong enough. Um, so it's a liability. But um, I just wish, you know, I, I do like him as a player. He just doesn't get enough football. So, you know, you can't really be getting five, six possessions a game and, and remaining in the team. Um, uh, one guy who we've only really seen glimpses of uh, up until now is, is Oscar Baker. Um, he showed some really good signs in this match, uh, two great snaps from both sides of the body. I'd really like to see more of him in 2021. Uh, hopefully he gets a good run with injury and can do a full preseason because I don't think up until now, George, he, he, I don't think he's had a, had a full preseason. You'd know you're down at uh, a lot of preseason trainings. I would love to give him a few games in a row. Obviously, we might only have one more this year, but uh, going into next year, love to see him get a few games in a row to get settled and show us what he's got uh, rather than in and out, in and out. Um, re- really like to see more of him, uh, uh, George. Uh, yeah, to- totally agree. Um, he's had a horrible run with injuries and he might be one of those players who um, uh, takes a couple of years to get his body right to be able to play AFL football and uh, hopefully that's happened now. But um, the, while this, you know, this was an impressive game from a kid who's been on the sidelines for a long, long time. Uh, again, with the stats, he had uh, 334 metres gained, which was um, the uh, fourth best for the side for for the uh, for the game. Um, a couple of goals. Uh, more importantly, I, I think um, him being on the wing enabled Tomlinson to slide back into the defence to help out with um, the work that was being done on Cameron as well. So 
he's he's released the pressure on the wing um, instead of Tomlinson having to work up the ground. He can now slot into that back line and um, on his own he's running he's running solidly. He's a, he's he looks like he's got the body now that's going to last in. Um, at the AFL uh, pressure levels. So, yeah, um, he might be another one that in 2020 this season um, we've discovered someone who's going to be around for quite a while. Let's hope that's the case and hope he avoids the injuries like he's unfortunately run into in the past. A few things about uh, Oscar is that I I thought it was a terrific game and to be honest, I sort of – I didn't think he really was going to be an AFL player and, um, you know, the – one game probably doesn't sort of necessarily prove the case that he is, but uh, it was super impressive. And um, speaking of taking his chances, um, both of those uh, goals he kicked were, were critical. The first one to get us going, um, to take advantage of a mistake, they're the ones that you just they're worth their weight in gold, those sorts of um, goals out of nothing. And then the second one, I think that was on his left foot. Maybe I'm wrong, but... Um, I think that was on his opposite foot uh, and it was pretty sure it was a, a, another clutch goal. And it made me think, um, I, I, I really hope he um, makes it, but it really reminded me of the importance of someone on the opposite wing to Langdon with pace and who can get forward, um, you know, get the sort of metered gain that he did. That's such a critical role um, now in footy um, and he played it. You know, he was fantastic. He faded a bit in the second half, I thought, Um but you know he he in that first half he was arguably our most important player offensively, um, and it's great to see a fellow with a big red mustache and sort of a, a red mullet running down the wing. I look forward to seeing him at the MCG. Yeah, I liked what one of the commentators said that uh, he looks like he could have played for Fitzroy in the eighties. Uh, I thought that was a good one. Um, yeah, I like uh, George what you said about um, about allowing uh, Tomlinson to go back. Um, which is which is good because then it doesn't expose us on on the wing. So if he can nail down the opposite wing to Langdon, I think that's going to be fantastic for us. Um, lazy in the chat room uh, before we go on, and I didn't have this guy now in my notes, but perhaps we can just quickly uh, talk about it. Said what what did we think of uh, Nev's game? Uh, does he still have enough to offer? Um, George, you want to take that one? Uh, very sadly, uh, yeah, I'll take this one. Um, unfortunately, I think it's over for Nev. Um, he's still contracted for another year, but whether he chooses to to continue, I'm not sure. Um, he was, he's, he, I think he's reached that point that we've seen a lot of players because we've all watched a lot of football where the mind is still will, willing, but the body isn't anymore. Um, he just can't get to those contests that were so critical in the development of his uh, reputation, you know, from two years ago, certainly. Um, as you get older, the, mo- the the body ages and you start to get the injuries and that's exactly what happened to him in this game. Um, so sadly, I don't think, um, I think it was one thing that was critical to, to me was in that uh, goal that Daniels uh, kicked, that miraculous goal that he kicked from the boundary line. Um where Nev just couldn't quite get enough speed mm. to get to that. Um, sadly, uh, Nev actually went past Smith doing the same thing, um, but Tomlinson came in at the very last moment to try and stop it. But as far as Nev was concerned, he just couldn't get it. You could see the mind, he was trying to whittle, will the body to 
to do it and the legs just weren't responding in the same way that they used to so yeah sadly i i, I think we might see nev um, take up the retirement option but um, like i said he's still got another year on the contract um, terrible to to lose those sort of willing capable players but um, i think the writing's well and truly on the wall yeah i mean he's just lost the speed as simple as that hasn't he i mean that one was that one was a dog's breakfast that goal because I thought Smith gave up running. Um, he did, he did, as, he did yeah, as well, Smith yeah. He got to yeah. that and passed yeah. Jetta. Maybe he thought, well, Jetta's in front of me. There's no, but he was running up and down on the spot. I mean, having said all that, um, that contest in the last quarter was critical, wasn't it? He put his body on the line, he beelined it, created a spill from that contest. And, you know, you've got to love uh, Jets just the way he, he puts his body on the line week in, week out. But you also got to worry that he'll get seriously hurt. And um, um, another year on the contract, I can't see him playing. Much, I can't play, see him playing any more senior football, to be honest, unfortunately, just because you're right, George, he's, he hasn't got the pace. And um, um, But I'd love to see him stay at the club if um, hopefully we'll be playing VFL games next year. And um, if he's not playing, you know, I hope they move heaven and earth to get him at the, keep him at the club in a welfare role. And um, he's such a solid citizen that you just don't um, let that sort of uh, person leave your footy club if you can help it. 100%. They've got to try and retain him any way they can, whether it's in a leadership role, you know, as in uh, leaders of the players, uh, some something welfare. Uh, they've got to keep him around the club uh, in a coaching role, which might, might be difficult given the... Um, given the financial situations clubs are going to be under in the next few years, but I, I would love mm. it if he, he could stick around. Um, uh, next one. It was uh, a Cosmic curious Pickett. decision to bring him in, I thought, Andy, because the, I mean, as I've said, um, uh, said last week, the, you know, our biggest Achilles heel defensively is those small and medium um, players. They're the ones who kick the goals week in, week out. The bigs, we've got the bigs covered. Um, that's not an issue for us. You know, when's the last time um, a true big, um, got hold of us. It's the the players like Daniels who who hurt us. I mean, I was amazed Toby Green didn't have more of an impact actually. And um, perhaps they thought Daniels isn't that quick and he's strong, and Jets would be able to go with him. But Jets, he was Jets's man for most of the game, and um, he kicked three, could have kicked uh, a fourth um, uh, that would have put them ahead. Um, and yeah, I was a bit surprised. I'm not sure what the deal with Lockhart is, um, but I was a bit surprised Nab did come in. I will say, when you're talking about selections, um, I still don't know what Lockhart has done that he can't get into the team because I would have thought he would be the perfect player to play on those smaller guys. He's not. Who's we'll talk about later? Uh, uh, McDonald, Tip and Woody we've got coming up. I don't know. But we'll, that's something we'll talk about a bit later. Um, let's go on. Uh, Cosy Pickett, uh, with the exception of his inaccuracy in front of goals, I really love the, the the spark he brings to the game, but he's really got to start putting on that scoreboard pressure. And I think that will come uh, and, and he'll, he will break games apart. But, uh, you know, one goal, three, and it could have easily been three or four goals. It's just got to put that score scoreboard pressure on. It's it's the at the mo- it's the one thing for him having that those, that breakout game, and he's almost there, but not quite. Um, I will one piece of play that I will highlight from Cozzy that that uh, you know perfectly sums up how hard he works is, is that goal that he uh, kicked. Uh, he got a contested possession in the back back fifty, 
He handballed it off to Hunter, who cleared the ball hurriedly off the ground uh, into the middle. Um, GW West got the ball and uh, the guy was uh, tackled by track. Um, we got the free and advantage through weed and, and track ran towards our, our 50 and received the ball on half forward. Track kicks the ball to advantage. It sits well for Hunt uh, just outside the goal square to tap it down to Pickett, who, who's run in for an easy goal. And both Pickett and Hunt um, you know, have run from deep in defence to the top of the square within less than a space of 20 seconds um, or just on 20 seconds. It was just incredible and great bit of gut running. And I, I really, really love that. You love seeing that. There was, there was another example in the game as well. I don't know whether you picked up on it, but um, it was the goal that ultimately Spargo uh, kicked, I think, from inside the goal square. That started from Cozzy uh, down the back line. I think he caused the first turnover. And again, it was the same story. He he ran from the from the goal square in the back line to actually, I think he, he was the one who passed it off to Spargo in the goal square. Yeah. Um, so again, he'd run the whole length of the ground, was involved in the middle on the way through, and then followed it up at the end. Um, yeah, that that's running the, that's just elite. You know, so um, yeah, if he starts, um, sometimes you 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 want to let them have their head, but sometimes you sort of say maybe it's just slow down just a little bit and and make sure that you nail those ones in front of goal, which uh, seems so easy because you put yourself in such a great position. But, um, look, he, he's going to do that one day. He's going to kick five or six and people are going to be uh, going, where where did this guy come from? Uh, at the moment, he's contributing in more than just uh, kicking goals um, uh, because he's given plenty of opportunities to others around him and bringing them into the game. He's, he's a first-class uh, player and hopefully, again, hopefully the injuries don't, don't hit him badly um, when people start to target him uh, because they know how dangerous he can be. And he's um, fierce at the ball. Um, you know, just hope he doesn't get a reputation with umpires for being, you know, too fierce um, because he he tackles like a you know like he's really wants to tackle hard for a little fella. Uh, we saw his um, clip the um, in you know from his. Um, recruiting the hit that he put on in that shepherd. He, he's taken that across the AFL level. On his goal kicking, I think, is, for me, is a combination of he gets a bit of a rush. He sort of needs to balance up a bit on those snaps. And um, But there's a few where I'd love him to take a snap and he gives it off. Um, you know, I think for the small forwards, they've got to have a certain amount of licence for if you're inside 30, you take your, you take your shot at goal. Um, Andy, just on that um, goal, you're right. That was a fantastic bit of running, and he didn't he didn't look super stuffed afterwards. Um, that was impressive um, fitness, but that was really curious because um, I don't think the umpire called advantage, and um, Wiedemann took the ball, and I'm pretty sure the umpire didn't call advantage. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm thinking he, um, the umpire, thought it was Wiedemann's free kick. And an almost identical thing happened. When I watched, I noticed it at the time live in the game and I watched the replay yesterday uh, and it, almost exactly the same thing happened where I think, I uh, forget who actually got the free kick, but Wiedemann, pick, uh, sorry, um, Brown picked Brown. the ball up. and oh, they, oh, Sean Smith's. It was yep. what, who, sorry? 
Yes, Smith got the free and Brown took the kick. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure the same thing. Advantage wasn't called. Um, I think both um, times it was a flat-out mistake. And that the, um, the one that Track got across, um, that should have been called back. Track should have gone back and we wouldn't have got the goal because we wouldn't have had the extra overlap player. Um, if I was a GWS fan, and uh, <laughs> I would be fuming, absolutely fuming, because that was just a, a straight-out error, I think. Especially when uh, Wiedemann put his hands up to indicate we're not going to take the advantage. Yeah, that's right. And Track ended up being the one who got it over the top. So. Yeah. Uh, and it was really great by Track. As soon as he tackled and heard the whistle, he just ran away and like left it for, for Wiedemann like he knew that Wiedemann was going to be allowed to take the kick. I, I don't know what what was going through Track's mind because usually when you get that free kick, you, you'll go to take your ball. I, 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 yeah. I don't know what went through his mind, but it actually worked out well for us. And as you said, if we'd gone back, we wouldn't have – because it wasn't just Hunt and Pickett there. Uh, Spargo was there as well. And the GWS guy actually had to leave Spargo to go to try and get Hunt. And he had to choose between, you know, the whether to stay with Spargo or, or go to Hunt or go to Mind Cozzy. But, you know, if he goes to Mind Cozzy, then Hunt takes it out of the air and kicks the goal or, you know. It happens what happened when so it was a flat out mistake, but it's funny how the difference um which team you barrack for makes because you know we're having a good old laugh about it and <laughs> that's, a, that's a curiosity. But if that had happened to Melbourne and we'd lost the game by five points, um guilty. <laughs> my, my Sunday would have been completely different and this um podcast would be somewhat different in in mood, I think. Well, well, let's talk about this now because, uh, 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 George, you, you put into the, the show notes tonight you wanted to talk about the umpiring. Um, I thought we actually, uh, I mean, I'm always filthy on freeze that we don't get uh, no stat for that. So, uh, you know, but there were a few that happened. But then again, you look at those things, uh, that that thing that happened with Brown, the thing that happened with Track and Weed, um, uh Melksham threw the ball twice. One of the times was the most obvious of throws I've ever seen. It was almost a rugby pass pass back. So they've missed those for us. Um, uh, I'm sure there are other ones that I'm just not thinking of now, but there were a couple. Uh, I didn't think the Mumford one on Rivers necessarily was a free. Um, it was quite accidental, so maybe even well, obviously accidental stuff is still free kicks. But yeah, I would have been maybe filthy at something like that too. Uh, so George, you go ahead. What, what was your uh, what was your problem with the umpires this week? I think you highlighted oh, yeah. all the individ all the individual things, but collectively but they, they, they just us. <laughs> yeah they did yeah yeah um, we don't get angry when they benefit us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I get disappointed when I see it. Because um, it's it's the same old stuff every week. The the umpires and in this game it was always umpire Williamson. Um, they just don't watch what's going on around the ground. Um, the um, those uh, you'd think that they'd actually know who's got the free kick, especially after you've paid the free kick, um, as to who gets to kick the ball. But obviously not these ones. Um, the um, throwing the ball against Melcham was an absolute. You know, I hope how how that was not possibly picked up is is incomprehensible to me. Um, once again, you remember uh, Alistair Clarkson came out complaining about forty six tackles that his team had 
uh, had in a game and not a single holding the ball decision made. Well, in this game, the commentators at halftime between the two teams noticed that once again there were 40 tackles between the two teams, so 20, 20 for each roughly, uh, and again, and not a single holding the ball decision made up to half time. Um, the umpires have gone backwards. They've gone back to what was critical in the first half of the season. You've got to make decisions when there are decisions to be made. This, this easy out, don't make any decision, call play on, play on, has just led to scrums being formed. We'll be complaining about the number of players around the ball and the number of ball-ups very soon because they've reverted to what was the problem in the first place. Um, it's it's just awful what we're seeing. And it's not just in our game. We were the beneficiaries in this game. We would have been, as you said, we would have been ropeable if those decisions had gone against us. But but, but it's the quality that you, you really need to complain about. It's not... Um up to the standard it needs to be. And I'm not sure they would have had problems this year, I'm guessing, um, with the quarantine and the hubs and all of those things. Um, there were some shocking non-decisions in this game. There were a few that we didn't get, to be honest, where um, manhandled in the ruck um, a, you know, a number of times where they sort of raffle that kick against um, Gorn, you know, that ridiculous situation where the two ruckmen are wrapping each other's, you know, in a big bear hug, both of them, and they pick out a free kick. Um, there was a number of others high, I thought. Spargo clearly was taken high. Um, there was, you know, pushes in the back not paid, um, any number of holding the ball decisions not paid. And it's not just in this game, it seems to be. I was watching the first half of the um, the Suns game, which I don't know the result of, Andy, so don't 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 tell me. <laughs> the... Um, um, the same deal. Um, so you know, it's an issue. It was an issue before this season, and it's been um, worse than I can ever recall it. And because I'm not um, at the ground, and so you see it sort of a bit differently, I guess, on the television. Um, though the commentators aren't, you know, noting half of the bad uh, free kicks. They've they've just got to sort it out. And I mean, uh, again, we've talked about this before, but I just think they've. They may not be able to do it next year with the money situation, but at some point they've got to bite the bullet and, and pay um, pay for umpires to be professional umpires and hold them to a standard of professional umpiring because it's and and sort out the rules for you know that's not their fault if the rules are opaque. Um, so you know the, it's just a blight on the game at the moment, um, and you just hate to see games decided by it, don't you? Like or it being a factor. Um, as I said, that would, you would have justification if you're a GWS fan to be ropeable um, for that goal, given the time of it, um, the sort of what's on the line. Um, yeah, so you know the umpiring has been really poor. And last week, because we were upset with the the Frio game, and um, I thought the umpiring was appalling last week. Um, and we got the rough end of the stick. I just didn't want to sort of bang on about it. But um, there were any number of decisions we could have got last week as well. And um, not that it, you know. Not that it would have made a, a difference, I guess, but it doesn't really matter. You never know what difference it would make, but that's not really the point, whether it changes the result of the game or not. Yeah, there was one other thing which I th- think actually was critical to us, uh, particularly in the second half, was um, at half time, uh, Viney went to umpire Williamson and complained bitterly about what Mumford was doing um, around the ground and in the ruck. Um, and as a result, in the second half, uh, freeze, including that particularly that one again uh, for Rivers, uh, were start to being paid against him. Um, so that was worthwhile. But you, you you do have to ask why a player has to 
who wasn't the captain, incidentally, um, needs to go to the umpire to complain about what's going on on the ground when it's obvious to everybody except these people who are calling themselves umpires. Um, again, it worked in our favour, um, but you shouldn't need to be doing that sort of thing. And I agree with Binman, you need to go professional with with this um, you can't have results, and there's an awful lot of money involved in these games, and the and the amount of resources that are devoted to AFL football, and we've got um, part-time amateurs running around, uh, supposedly um, holding it, holding the, the the game together in some way. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Not when you, I mean, when you think about the sort of confected um, controversy about the arc decisions, about the occasional touched over the line or did it shave the post or, you know, and you have Jared Waitley banging on about, well, you know, it's it's not fair on the competition or it's not fair on Melbourne and, you know, give me a break. I mean, if the umpires make 10, 15 poor decisions a match is a lot more impactful on whether, the, you know, there's an occasional one that's touched on the line or not touched on the line. Look, I, I agree with what you say about uh, umpires needing to become professional, but given the uh, the state of the, the financial state of the game, uh, you know, b- b- coaches and and the like losing jobs, I, I can't see that happening. Um, but something's got to change. Um, you mentioned the uh, the commentators um, and Mumford, and I'll, I'll I wasn't happy with the, the way the commentators were commentating about Mumford, it seemed like they were having a bit of a laugh about how physical he was being. And uh, given, you know, things that have come out about head knocks and all that, um, I think I think the, the the commentators need to start be getting serious as well as the AFL in how they adjudicate some of the uh, the head stuff. Um, Max has got thumped in the back of the head uh, by, by Mumford and Mumford, what's Mumford got? A, a $1,000 fine. Um, if they were serious about head knocks and clashes to the head and intentional hitting, um, you know, they're going to rub people out. Uh, uh, Neil Bullen got rubbed out for an, a sling tackle where where a player got, got injured. But, uh, look, Max didn't get injured, but sometimes, you know, those small head knocks, one, add up, you know, add up on top of each other. And, um, you know, the AFL is just not consistent with how they want to sort of adjudicate uh, the things that they want to stamp out of the game. And uh, for me, for the commentators to sort of laugh laugh about it, um, I don't know, it just doesn't sit right with me. Oh, could not agree more. And it just drives me insane. The whole commentary drives me insane, to be honest. It's, you know, it's dominated by meathead ex-footballers um, like Darcy, who you know, if there's any a single incident that's vaguely reportable. Their instinctive reaction is, ah, oh, there's nothing in that, and having a bit of a laugh. It's like watching, you know, that stupid video clip of the big hits from the '80s that um, that they seem to love so much. Those sorts of things. And I mean, he they were joking about it when he hit um, Gorn in the back of the head, um, which was I don't understand why that's not a report. I mean, because he clearly he was nowhere near the ball. Um, and I think it was Darcy who said, oh, he was mummied. I mean, like, you know, that's that's not funny. You know, it's like it's just glorifying a big thug. You know, that's it just drives me spare. I can't stand it. And um, the general standard of commentary is just infuriating, in the, particularly in the model that they've got. You've got Rich, Richardson and um, um, Darcy just talking to each other as if they're at the pub. 
when the game's going on, just call the football. You know, I don't, you know, I don't want to hear their their opinion about Mumford and that's a great way to play footy and you know what you're going to get and he's physical. That's not, you know, it's just not what I want to hear. And I, I know you can turn it off, but um, then you don't hear the sounds of the game in the same way. Um, it's just just rubbish. On the co- on the commentators, it's it's worthwhile remembering, and probably the standard is indicative of the way the AFL controls this whole game. Is um, that who who pays for the commentators? They uh, they're obviously not allowed to complain about the umpires, even though they look at it and go occasionally they go, oh, that was a very unusual decision. Um, the same the same about what you were talking about. Um, these these reportable incidents being um, passed off. The the AFL doesn't want publicity about people hitting each other, and the AFL doesn't want um, negative publicity about their umpires because otherwise they might have to do something about it. But we're we're not going to see it see anything until they really get serious about both. And Andy, while they've um, opened up that can of worms, like the venting on television coverage is. You know, their job is to cover the game of football. Um, at a critical moment of the game, there was a, a really interesting thread um, today that someone started um, about camera angles um, and the, um, the, the, the way that the game's covered. Uh, and they brought up the point, the example, of, of after Cozzy kicked uh, that point from the boundary line after a terrific bit of play, actually, the build-up to, to that play was fantastic. He kicked a point and... Then it went out of bounds immediately. And they were showing a replay of something that had happened two or three minutes prior with Viney that had nothing to do with what was happening in the game that, that again, Darcy was making commentary about. Um, and there was no footage of how that ball went out. And because they didn't have the footage on, they couldn't even show the replay of how the ball went out and it ended up in our forward pocket. I have no idea what happened. It's just it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think what the problem here is actually covid um, in, in, a, in a strange sense. I don't think uh, Channel 7 or Foxtel have got the same number of cameras and cameramen and I don't think they've got the same number of directors or the directors are sitting in a room in South Melbourne or wherever uh, the headquarters might be and they're trying to um, uh, move the camera shots from one to another without not, not actually being at the ground or, or being in close vicinity. Um, they're not getting the, I don't think they're getting the same number of feeds as what they're used to. Um, uh, for exact, you know, and, and the, the end result is we're not seeing the stuff that we should be seeing. Um, and quite often you, you've got to look at the, the bottom right-hand corner of the screen to actually watch the game that's going on. The priorities are all, all around the wrong way. We should be watching the game on the main screen and any replays on the corner. But uh, Sometimes think, they don't even do that little picture box in the bottom with a live play on it, and so you, you're just showing a replay, but there's stuff going on, and it's like, get off this. I don't want to see this. I want to see what's happening. Uh, what what I actually asked the question on this um, on this thread that you're talking about, Bim Man, about where where is the production normally done from? Like the directors and all that, are they usually at the ground or yeah. somewhere underneath the ground? Or no, no, at the ground, always at the ground. Yeah. So now it's obviously done elsewhere, and the commentators are obviously commentating from a studio. Yeah. I'm sure they've got a couple of screens in front of you, but obviously more limited than uh, camera positions available. Obviously, they're seeing more things than we're seeing because yep. they probably have a couple of angles. But it, it, you know, it, it does not make up from being able, and it's the same for us as supporters watching on TV. It doesn't make up from you know sitting up, um, you know, 
up uh, one level up and having a whole view of the whole ground. Um, you know, uh, uh, someone mentioned that they've got the boundary riders there, but they're on the ground level. They don't really have a bird's eye view of seeing what's going on. So I think it, it, it makes it hard for the commentators as well because they really can't see what's happening. If it's if the camera's not pointing at something, even though they might have a view of three or four cameras, uh, and I doubt it's even that much, they don't know what else is going on around the ground. So uh, that's probably why <laughs> the, some of the commentary is so poor. Sorry, Andrew, two things that I know for a fact because there was that article that um, I posted on Demonland a few weeks ago about the TV coverage that the they have a constant stream of the down-the-ground shot. So the commentators do too, presumably, because they feed that into the coach's box. So in up in the coach's box, they've got a feed of um, just the camera angle from behind the goals. So the commentators at any time could look at that screen. Presumably they've got it as well. It would make sense for the coaches to be able to have access to it, not the um, commentators. But the other thing is that, you know, that's a, a reasonable point that they're probably doing production from off-site. But... Um, that's a production decision about, you know, you, surely the rule is you show live footage all the time, not a replay. There was one point where they were showing a replay on the main screen in the breakout box in the corner while the game was going on. They had footage of um, Goodwin talking to Fritch on the boundary line. It was like, they were, that's ridiculous. So it's, um, yeah, I can't wait to get back to um, live footy, that's for sure. Yeah, well, that, you know, just even, you know, We've discussed it in previous uh, uh, podcasts. Is is that we we you know we love being at the ground, we love seeing what's happening, not around the ball where where players yeah. are positioned uh, to see where the nibbler, what what he's doing. Um, you know when we're not seeing him on the on the thing. Um, it, it, yeah, it, it makes it difficult for us uh, as well. Um, let's move on. Um, uh, Mitch Brown. Uh, I really like his work uh, leading up the wings in providing that marking target. I think he's been more effective in this respect than T-Mac this year. And we, we've sort of uh, acknowledged that perhaps T-Mac's carrying some injury that's uh, preventing uh, him from playing at his best. But I, I've got no idea why we decided to drop Mitch Brown for the Frio game to bring Pruce in. And I can understand if it was based on the conditions in Cairns, uh, but not when the alternative uh, was Pruce. Like if we had just drop Mitch Brown because it was going to rain and bring in a smaller guy, but they didn't. They brought in Pruce, um, who we didn't even use as a relief ruckman really. So we used him as a forward. Um, I think Brown was stiff to get dropped the other week, but what I liked this week was his his work up the ground to provide a target and he often gets in front of his man and can take a mark. Um, I, 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 I like him. Um, I know he's uh, getting up there in age, and uh, but uh, uh, George, do you know what uh, he's? Co- I think he was only contracted for a year. Well, if that's the case, would you keep him around for another? Uh, that, yeah, that that is correct. He, he runs out of contract at the end of this year, and I definitely keep him around for another, unless we can find an equivalent sort of uh, younger player. You know, someone someone of the well, there is likes of say a. Yeah, there's Jackson, but uh, unless you can get a Brody Meyercheck perhaps in, who um, has got a similar sort of body, um, uh, we need some reliability. Uh, Bin Man was talking particularly last week about the need to have reliability in the team, not just chopping and changing every week. Um, and a player like Mitch Brown is never going to come out and kick five or six goals for you, but he will kick one and two every week, and he'll provide that lead up the up the the uh, ground and he'll take that mark in the goal square that you desperately needed uh, occasionally. 
he's a he's a serviceable player, and I don't think we're getting uh, what we need out of Wiedemann and T Mac. There's still big questions about his injuries and endurance. Um, whether whether he'll be capable of, of getting on the ground in any sort of regular base on any sort of regular basis, but um, yeah, I'd be leaving Mitch Brown in in the side and keep him around because even if we just stay with who we've got, we we need someone like that, that bigger body for the development of the younger players. Um, you don't want to be going into next year with say Jackson and Wiedemann as your your sole sole big forwards. Um, you need something else as the season goes on. Yeah, he was um, terrific in this game. I thought it was 17 possessions, was it? Something like that. Um, but really, the the most impressive part of his game was his um, mobility. And in fact, I, I think Cameron made a bit of an error um, allowing him to push so far up the ground and not running someone with him more often because he, um, in that last quarter, he got a lot of important um, outlet kicks from the back half and um, where he was the, the first player in the sort of chain or the one that they crossed to. Um, and that was super important, and, and I was surprised that they didn't ban him up more often. Um, but he's also a really reliable field kick. Uh, I don't recall him turning it over once from that back half. Um, you can't knock his his work rate. He, um, I'd love to see um, what sort of distance he covered. Um, and you know, I know we're going to talk about Wiedemann, and we needed someone um, to play the role he did because Wiedemann um, uh, was playing that markup. Um, Sent half forward, so a tougher gig for sure. Um, but he he didn't have um, hardly any impact. Wiedemann hasn't for the last three games. So uh, Brown was dead set unlucky um, to be dropped the previous week. I don't understand it at all. But you know we'll look forward, not back. Um, and he would be terribly unlucky to get dropped this week. You know, but who knows? Well, let's talk about uh, Wiedemann now um, uh, while we're on him. Another game where he didn't have much impact. Uh, what's going on there? Uh, felt our forward line was once again very crowded. Um, uh, when we talk about Brown, Brown's had seven marks, but a lot of them were, were sort of up up the field. What what, what do we do um, uh, with the Wade uh, bin man? Um, what's, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to drop I mean, him. <laughs> after playing well, you know, He's not getting high numbers. He's been kicking his one or two goals. He was at his best this season when he was um, tic-tacking with Jackson. I thought they complemented each other really well. I think we talked about that on the podcast a couple of times. Um, but to be honest, didn't the last three games have been season-defining match, you know, must-win matches, um, the, the sort of games you forge your career reputation on, and he has been a long way off uh, what I would say is an acceptable level. He had two games against Sydney, uh, sorry, two possessions against Sydney. Um, he was not much better against Frio. His defensive running was poor um, both those games. And in this game, when he really needed to pull his finger out, uh, it was poor again. I know he was playing with with um, Brown doing that running. He was expected to do more of the sort of heavy lifting in the pack marking down there, which, which I'll grant that. But he's had one contested mark for the last three weeks, um, I think. So 16 possessions over those four, over those three um, games, four marks in total, and only one of them contested, and that was in this uh, game, and I can't even recall it, to be honest. Um, that's just not enough numbers, you know. Um, he's not pushing hard across. He's tackling, yeah, and and damningly, you know, um, sure, he's uh, contested 
sort of marking his go, but he's not taking them, but it's flying. He's not laid a tackle in three weeks. In a, in three must-win games of footy where we've, our season's on the line, he's 24, he's not a kid. You might excuse, you know, um, one of the young fellas for not laying a tackle, but surely, the you know, K, KPI for a big, strong 95, 96, 97 kilo forward is to crunch some tackles. So not to have laid a tackle in three weeks is just not, not on, I don't reckon. Yeah, not much more you can say. Those those stats are just damning, isn't it? And it's a, a lot of it. A lot of it's about the attitude, as as Binman just said. You know, to not lay tackles, even if everybody has has bad periods where they just can't get the ball or they're out of form. But even when you're doing, even when you're in that situation, you can always lay a tackle. You can always put in a block. Weedham is not doing that as well. Um, at the start of the season. Um, I thought he um, wouldn't make it simply because the times that I'd watched him in previous years, he gives up. When he doesn't get the mark, he gives up. And he's, and then all of a sudden this year, he started to have those second efforts and put in that, that little bit. And in the second half of this season, he's reverted to type again. He just stops and he stands and he looks at what's going on two, three, four metres away instead of doing doing something. You can come in, you can... But as a big body, you can push people aside. You can get involved, but he's just not getting involved. And as a full forward, primarily, that that's critical. You've got to got to exert yourself as a full forward, and he's just not doing it. I, I don't see any future for him at the moment. The way he's playing, and four marks in three games is, if he was Proust, for instance, and and those three games he spent the entire game inside 50, um, you know, that can be pretty hard to get a mark and I'm sure you'll go through games as a forward playing deep and not getting a um, big swag of possessions. But he's got licence to push up the ground and as there would be an expectation he does. So you should be getting your three, four marks a game just um, pushing up and get, and being the outlet option like Brown was in this match. You know, So four four marks, one contested across three games, albeit two of them were wet, I'll give him that, but... Um, you know, it's not not on, and like I, I, I hate to suggest this, but he, I reckon for me, he's looked a little bit like a player who doesn't want to get hurt um, before the end of the season, and um, you know, maybe he's, I'm not sure, George, what's his contract position? Maybe he's got Collingwood in his um, dreams. Yeah, I, I don't know off the, offhand what the contract position is, but um, Brody Meyer checks uh, out of contract and having troubles. I'd be doing a straight swap, quite frankly. Yeah, I'd take a straight swap for my tech and um, I never would have thought I'd say that, um, um, you know, certainly not two years ago, but I'm, I'm not one generally to to lose faith in players and, um, you know, perhaps I'm being a bit unfair, but as I said, these last three games have been critical games of footy for the footy club and that's when your reputation's forged. Wow, strong. Uh, strong positions there uh, from you guys. Um, well, let's move on uh, to perhaps a bit more positive uh, uh, talk about a player, uh, which is Ed Langdon. Um, I think you've talked him up on every show we've done this year and, and this week was no exception, but uh, there were a couple of uh, t- turnovers and missed kicks early on. Uh, but if there's any one piece of play that, that you could show to someone that typifies the way that Ed, Ed Langdon plays and, and highlights his, his hard running, then you look no further to a play late in the last quarter with about three minutes to go. Lever gets the ball in the back pocket. He kicks across the ground to Langdon, who's by himself on, on the defensive 50. 
Langdon then runs hard up the ground with the, with the ball up the wing. He delivers to Spargo, who then kicks it to Cozzi on the half forward line, uh, on the half forward flank. And all the while, Langdon has continued to gut run up the ground. He receives the ball from Pickett and then he kicks it to Spargo, who then he kicks, he kicks it to the top of the square. And that ended up being the play that resulted in Rivers' uh, match winning goal. And that goal doesn't happen without Langdon's gut running. And, and, and for me, that is a winning trade move every day of the week. And in my book, it's it's the trade of the year in, throughout the, the AFL. Um, just love uh, Ed Langdon. Um, do you boys agree? Langdon was uh, probably fundamentally the, the one player who, uh, when the game needed to be won, his running won it for us um, to, to, to create those opportunities. But uh, uh, like we've spoken about in previous weeks, um, He's been critical. He's filled that gap um, that we've so desperately needed in years gone by. And um, he's, he's producing what we ex- exactly need, uh, certainly up one side of the ground. And as we've said, Baker may well be able to do the same on the other side. But uh, yeah, Lang- Langdon just never stops, never stops. He's the, the original um, Ever-Ready Battery kid. Um, he's, he's been instrumental in uh, our turnarounds this year. And... Um, uh, again, another fabulous recruit that uh, the recruiting tide, uh, side has brought to the to the team. Yeah, couldn't agree more. His um, running has just been incredible. I, I think I read that he had ten turnovers in it. Um, if so, I reckon they're pretty harsh on on the definition of a turnover because watching the replay, I read that before watching the replay, um, and it didn't seem that they were horrendous turnovers. But he's often kicking under pressure. Uh, George, you know, he's often kicking after a long run as well. And, um, you know, speaking of reputation forged, he, um, I put a lot of stock in players who play well in losing games and he definitely held his head high in um, both the Sydney and Frio games. Uh, and he's running, you know, the umpire, sorry, the commentators were pointing it out. It was phenomenal and I thought it was, and you know, it was um, a nice touch at the end for him to get that handball from um, track to, to clear it and to... I guess finish off the game for us at the end, and again from hard running and contest, and um, he's been a terrific recruit, um, as good a recruit to the club as I can recall. Uh, May and him have both uh, been absolute um, stars all season, really, and and again the brilliant leadership from him as well. Um, you know, running to position, tackling, taking players on, taking that boundary on. Um, he's he's been a revelation for the Dees, and importantly, he's the um, the safety uh, get out of jail card for for us a lot of times. You know, uh, where he he'll make that run out to the wing or down the wing to create the opportunity for for players, particularly in the back line, to get it out. Um, again, something that we never had there last year. So he's uh, been a fabulous addition. Yeah, and I think that if Baker does come on. Um, you know that really will help Langdon because it means that oppositions won't be able to isolate him and and take the other wing. If you've got two good wingmen um, in footy who can both get meters gained um, these days, I think that's a big weapon. Um, you you know particularly if they've got a bit of a difference, ones maybe more offensive or um, aggressive. Um, I think that will really help him. I know Tomlinson. The thinking was for him, but um, to be the wingman, but he's a. I don't know that he's um, quick enough to to really flourish in that role. 
Uh, yeah, let's uh, move on. Uh, we'll go quickly on the next couple of ones. I've got uh, Lever and Smith. How, how did you see their games? Um, uh, thought Lever was costly at times, made some horrific mistakes, a couple of drop marks and conceded a goal or two. Um, George, how did you see uh, Lever's game? Yeah, I think you summed it up there. He, he had a couple of shockers and then um, had a couple of uh, pieces of brilliance. Um, his, um, his kicking doesn't fill me with any sort of um, uh, fe- feeling of confidence. It's almost a bit like T-Mac uh, from years gone past when he was in the back line. Um, uh, but uh, anyhow, he's, he seems to be there. And, it's, and even though he did make those mistakes, particularly in the first half, he, he's been around. He's got the right sort of head that he doesn't do, doesn't go into his shell as a result of it. He just keeps on going, um, which is essential in a backman because the ball's going to keep coming in there at some stage. Uh, Smith, unfortunately, I still of the, of the same opinion. He performed better in this game, but there were times when, in a similar way to Weedham, and he just gives up. He just stands and looks at the ball that's two meters away, waiting for other people to do something. You know, as a as a backman. You know, the idea is to kill the ball, kill the opportunities for the opposition. And um, sometimes you just look at him standing outside and the ball gets flicked out to one of their small forwards usually. Um, it, it should You should be in there and just, just throwing your body around willy-nilly to try and stop it, cause the, the ball up and, or a reset or knock it out of bounds. I don't think Smith's got the, um, the footy smarts to be able to hold down the position in the, in the long run. Yeah, I'd say I've been... Um prepared to uh, give Smith, you know, the benefit of the doubt. And, and he's definitely got talent, and there's no question about that. I've, I've said on Demoland a number of times I'd prefer to see him up forward where I think um, his lack of football IQ would be less of a um, an issue and um, it's really exposed down back. Um, I thought he was great in the last quarter. Um, there was a clutch moment where I thought for sure he was going to give up a mark one-on-one to Cameron in the goal square, um, but he... I thought he was also a bit lucky not to have um, given away a couple of goals or allowed a couple of goals. So, yeah, I, I think the um, Smith experiment's probably done its dash. Um, Lever was – he frustrates, doesn't he? And uh, he does some good things. And um, I, I reckon definitely, as I said last week, he's got to get rid of the moustache. That'll help my my um, opinion of him no end. Um, having said with his kicking, you know, he just – isn't a good kick. He did that turnover, which it was, again, a stupid commentary from Darcy saying it was like an impossible kick. It wasn't an impossible kick. It was a total AFL standard kick that should have been low enough for the player to run onto the ball. He had two players who could have run onto it. But what I loved actually about Lever was late in the game, um, he did something he hasn't been doing all season. He crossed to the fat side where we had, um, I forget who it was, I think it might have even been Brown in the corridor who then crossed to um, uh, Viney, I think, or perhaps even Langdon down the other wing and opened it up. It's when the commentators noted that they were they were really flagging and that four-day break was a huge factor in that last quarter. Uh, they just weren't able to get across to the um, other side to, to cover that, um, defensively cover the fat side. And he took that kick on, which he hadn't been doing. Uh, and that, I thought, was terrific because it's obviously what needed to be done um, and uh, it would have been easy for him to go into his shell and just kick back down the line. So good on him for, um, for taking that kick on. And Melksha, uh, thoughts on his uh, new role uh, as a tagger uh, that they've just plucked out of nowhere? 
Uh, George will be happy to know he had five tackles this week, but uh, played his opponent had about 24 uh, possessions. Uh, I, I, I don't think he's a good enough lockdown tagger in a tagging role. Um, uh, your thoughts on, on Milksham? Yeah, I think that pretty well summed it up straight away. Um, uh, the um, I, I have a feeling that the coaches are getting desperate in the sense that uh, they put him into that role because he's been so poor in his roles up the for, up in the forward line. Uh, any other player, um, I suspect, would have been dropped weeks and weeks and weeks ago. Um, uh, he was playing on Josh Kelly, supposedly, as a tagger. He got 24 touches and you really wouldn't have known that um, he was... He was being a tagged at all. Um, I, I don't know what to do with Melchior. Like I said, he should have been dropped weeks ago and uh, tried to try some other people. I don't think he's a tagger. Um, Harms uh, hasn't been in great form at all this year, but as a tagger, Harms would know what to do. And um, I, I suspect that uh, Kelly wouldn't have got, you know, certainly 24 possessions if he had a proper tag on him. Yeah, I thought um, I'd read... Um, that he was on Taranto in the first half, but it's hard to tell. But um, he certainly wasn't in the second half, and they were talking about um, him on uh, Kelly late in that um, that game. And you know, immediately after they talked about it from that clearance, um, he was not goal side for Kelly. He allowed Kelly to run forward to the goal, which was just a big note. That's I think this is the one that set up the shot that Daniels missed. Um, he kicked it to Daniels, and if he'd kicked that, that would have been on Melksham, given Melksham's job was to stop exactly that scenario. So, yeah, um, I mean, you can't. You, he's not going to get dropped now. He's, as you said, George should have been dropped earlier, I think. Um, but you know, I could have smashed my television when he gave up that second goal after Lever had given up a goal on the um, after his mistake. Um, and you know, to, to hand over that ball so easily um, and cough up the goal was just. You know, we I thought we had the better of that first half, but again we went into halftime with scores level. Um, it was a bit like the Saints game, wasn't it? Where just you know, again it felt like we, we didn't you know we didn't get the um, rewards we deserved from the work we'd put in. Uh, my favourite thing that uh, Melksham did do was that he Toby Greened Toby Green, um, which was nice to see. Um, uh, look, we haven't talked about uh, uh, like uh, Clary and and Petrarca all, you know, had their their, their good games. I, I, I think we'll move on. Uh, I loved Petrarca's goal; was just fantastic. That pickup was one of the best pickups uh, you're ever likely to see, and did exactly what I always call for and think we don't have enough. He had a snap kick for goal that had a lot of penetration and went through the big sticks, and I don't we don't see enough of that. Um, just one thing, Andy, I yeah. wanted to say about track, just as a statistical freak show, really. 22 possessions, mm-hmm. 19 of which were contested. Yeah. And I think his first nine or ten possessions were um, contested, which is just it's just ridiculous. Yeah. But look, as I said, we haven't talked about him, but that doesn't mean he wasn't instrumental uh, in, in the game as well as uh, Clary. Uh, let's uh, move on so we don't... Uh, my internet doesn't die completely. Um, uh, my last note that I've got uh, before we move on to next week in the run home, um, uh, it's fantastic to get the win uh, in the past. I reckon we would <laughs> we struggled with these close games 
And that's the second time in a couple of weeks that we've pulled off a close one. You know, credit to the boys getting back into the game once we thought we were done. Um, but once again, we failed to stem the flow of run-on of goals. I think that they'd kicked six out of seven at one stage. Um, and we'd got off to a great start. You know, when we get these great starts, you sort of want it to continue. But we had some costly turnovers. How do we stamp this out of our game? Uh, who wants to take that? <laughs> who wants to put their hand up to take that one? I can't. I don't think because um, if we, if any if anyone knows the answer to this, please send it to the um, football department of the Melbourne Football Club. Um, you know, this was round seventeen, and we we're seeing the same thing as we've been seeing certainly all this year: the inability to stop the the run of the opposition, um, particularly when a couple of those you know that uh, six of seven goals that was around the half time mark. I think. Um, we gave them a couple, you know, two were, two were Petraka, sort of not Petraka, uh, Melcham turnovers or, or silly decisions. Uh, there just doesn't seem to be the the maturity and the leadership that we talk about across the ground to be able to go, hey, guys, let's go into half time, two goals up. Let's not rush this. We can just kill the game for the last two minutes. I think I've spoken previously about the last two minutes of quarters where we just seem to give up goals. Um, it, you know, it, we need that leadership. We need Stephen May on each line at the moment to be able to stop this. I, I don't know. That's This is the coach's uh, dilemma. How, how do you do it? I've got no idea. Well, the, when you talk about leadership, uh, right on almost on quarter time, um, uh, we got a free kick in the in the middle of the ground. Max takes the ball. Uh, and plays on. There's, there was what, 30 seconds to go less, and he's kicked it wayward. He's kicked it to Baker, but he's he's kicked it straight to a GWS player. They've kicked it out, out to the flank, and then in turn to to Toby Green, who's had a shot for goal, but on the siren, and like thankfully he missed. Mm. But that's you don't play on. Then we just kicked a goal. There's no need uh, to to play on then. If Oscar Baker was absolutely by himself and there was no one there, and perhaps Max thought he was, um, then yeah. But other than that, if you're going to play on, thump it into the straight into the forward line. Um, you know, very costly. Um, so George, that one was uh, when um, Mumford thwacked um, Oliver. And I think not only did he hit him in the head, I think he um, got him with his knees in the ribs and he was dry retching Oliver. Yeah. That 14 seconds to go from memory, stop the clock there, hold it. He would have been kicking from the um, centre-half forward. Um, he would have had an outside chance of kicking a goal, but you know, probably too far out, obviously, to kick the goal. But um, Oliver, the clock would have stopped. That's the thing. Had time to reset. We'd just kicked the goal. Um, let Oliver get up, take time, and set do a set play. That was the uh, the go there. Just with the the run on in that game, I, I totally agree with what George is saying around leadership and the sort of it's been a, a feature right um, through uh, Goodwin's tenure, it, hasn't it? Um, that teams have got on a run, but it didn't feel quite like that in this game. There were I, I was surprised when um, the commentators said. Um, six of seven goals and uh, you know after that we got the next one I think so it was six of eight uh, ultimately but um, um, it, it didn't feel like that it didn't feel like they were out and out smashing us it was more no, but that's, a sort of that's because we had a four goal almost a four goal lead well three goals but yeah but you know what I mean look it, did, it didn't feel as if they were we were, had suddenly dropped our bundles and they were rolling over the top of us it not didn't I mean it 
they, they were scoring goals, I guess. So um, it just didn't have that feeling. But, you know, having said that, I, I think I, my only contribution in the game day thread, I can't keep up with the game day thread on Demon Land, was coming into that final quarter is that we'll learn a lot about the club. Um, seven points down, um, you know, this is where everything really you have to forget. You know, the hub, the travel, the the poor run with with the games, the no buy, the all of that stuff is out the window. Um, you know, let's see what the boys want, how much they want this win. Um, and credit where it's due, they wanted it. They came out and they played for their coach um, who would have been under enormous pressure if we'd lost that game. Um, and, um, you know, they were a tremendous will in that last quarter. So for me, that was the best thing about the game is that seven points down they came out and put the um, bit between the teeth and decided they were going to win that game. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, that's it uh, for me um, uh, with my notes. Um, uh, there were some things uh, you guys wanted to to bring up. Um, uh, all right. Let's just go on to to um, we'll go on to uh, talking about uh, next week changes. Uh, uh, B man, who, who's coming out? Uh, we've got one last roll roll of the dice. Uh, we need to win this game. Um, who comes in? Well, I don't know. Um, this this game of who comes in is like sort of who would I do and what would Goody do? As I said, there's a big disconnect. Um, and I had to, um, speaking of wry grins, I gave the Spargo wry grin when I heard um, a clearly grumpy Goodwin suppressor before the GWS game talk about um, when asked about selections and who was going to come in for the GWS game, he said, well, they will make some changes, but not too many because they're trying to build cohesion. Um, <laughs> right, right. Well, that's a funny way about building cohesion. So if they want to build cohesion now with one game of the season, you've got Jetta probably has to come out. I think even you know the injuries are covered for that. Um, Hunt's probably going to come out. There's two there. You're going to bring Hibbert back in. He loves Harms. Harms is going to come back in. Um, and I think Jackson's fit. I reckon he'll be keen to bring Jackson back in. Um, is, is Jackson fit? He, he was still listed as one to two weeks. Was he? So, yeah, I'm not well, sure. Last week, but I don't know. But, you know, that wouldn't surprise me at all if um, he um, – that makes three changes, which would be 23 changes in four games of footy. So <laughs> him and I have got different ways of defining cohesion, I think, so, um, or a cohesive unit. So, to, you know, I, I think probably – Hunt will go out, I think. Uh, Hibbard will come back in um, and I expect that Jets will go out and, I, you know, hopefully Lockhart comes back in. George, you want to, uh, you want to progress? <laughs> yeah, th- thoughts are around the same areas. I, th- I think Hibbard would be a natural in. Uh, um, Nev comes out because of injury, but the question is who, who creates the space for that uh, small backman that we... Um, so desperately need, particularly against uh, a, a Tip and Woody. Um, we need somebody to be able to run with him. Up up forward, I think um, uh, Hunt's written his, um, his uh, Do Not Come Monday card, um, so I suspect he'll be the one out. Uh, probably that would mean Hannon would come back in because simply there aren't any other true options. Uh, I can't see them bringing Bedford back just for this one game. I don't think there's any point in that. You've got to, you know, again another must-win game. You've got to have that bit of, bit more experience than than what Bedford's got. Um, so really, we're only looking at possibly two, 
maybe three changes this week, of which one is an essential. Um, but beyond that, I don't think we need to be doing anything more. And it's instructive that Benel's not in our discussions, really, isn't it? It doesn't look like he's going to be uh, in the frame. The other, the other factor, you know, it's a fascinating game because, uh, Andy, as you've um, suggested on Demonland, the um, this is a, a game that's going to be live um, no matter what, isn't it, for us. So we'll be looking for a big win. So obviously they're going to be playing more aggressively, um, you'd expect, because they'll, you know, that's the way to, you need to risk having goals scored against you to um, maximise your own chance of scoring goals, which should mean a corridor game of footy with with attacking uh, high press, which was what they did in this game against GWS. So, you know, I wonder whether that will factor into their selections about the need to bring in players who can play that high press and, and put the score on the board. Well, we'll, we'll sort of know um, on... Um, we make... We make the changes on Friday, I believe. When's yeah, when's Saturday? Yeah, that's right. Friday. On Saturday, so we'll do them Friday. Uh, I believe the St Kilda games on Friday night, though. Um, so we won't know. Uh, yeah, that's Friday night. So we'll have to make the changes before we know the result of that game. But the the results of that game sort of uh, could. And this is where we'll go into the permutations of, of uh, making the finals. And uh, I will preface this by saying that B-Man only knows scores up to half time in the, in the Collingwood Suns game. So we're going to treat that as a, as a live game. Um, uh, so the, in terms of St Kilda, uh, St Kilda wins, we can't uh, go ahead of them. Um, if St Kilda loses... Uh, it's meaning GWS wins. Uh, we can uh, we can draw level on games with St Kilda, but we still need to catch up um, a percentage on them. And I believe uh, uh, George, do you know this is a twenty five them twenty five down us twenty five up uh, points. Um, I, I haven't got to that sort of level of calculation, and, uh, and, and quite frankly, I wouldn't bother about it because it depends on uh, what St Kilda do and and what we do, and um, uh, all all we can do. the The only thing that we can do is what's within our control, which is beat Essendon and beat them convincingly, and the numbers will take care of themselves. If we don't do, if we don't beat Essendon and we don't do beat them convincingly then we're opening ourselves up um, either to not making it from uh, straight away or potentially not making it. So um, we can only do one thing and you know, hope, hope for the other results to fall our way. Like I said, we better be barracking for Frio uh, is the biggest opportunity I think we've got. Um, so, um, yeah, we've just got to play the game. But the point I'm making is is once we play, we'll know the St Kilda results. So if St Kilda has has lost, um, we will know exactly how much uh, we need yeah. to win by to uh, jump them on percentage. And if they, you know, uh, it might mean that we need to win by six goals or five goals to get in that way. Um, and then we don't have to rely on the results from the Collingwood game or the results from the Bulldogs game. Um, but uh, if St Kilda win, uh, they're out of the equation, and um, then we are relying on um, on on Collingwood losing both games, and where which 
if Collingwood lose both and we win, there's no percentage involved. We go ahead of Collingwood. Um, but with the Bulldogs, uh, and with the Bulldogs, that's it. We just need, we need to win. And the Bulldogs, if the Bulldogs lose, then we jump them. Um, so yeah, we, we can only do what's in our control, but I really don't like the fact that we have put ourselves in this position. We were uh, two weeks ago, we were in prime position to, you know, had we won one, uh, we wouldn't be having one of those two games. We wouldn't be having this discussion. We certainly wouldn't be having this. Oh, well, we might've been having, if we just won one, we might've been having this discussion because we still could have dropped the Essendon game and been over, overrun by someone else, but we wouldn't be re- relying on other, other results. And if we had won two, then we'd be talking about uh, whether we would uh, overtake, uh, overtake West Coast. Uh, but that's, that wasn't to be. Um my biggest uh, fear is um, if we if we lose to Essendon, but the res- the other results would have gone our way to get in uh, by beating Essendon. That's that's my biggest nightmare scenario. People are saying their nightmare scenario is us winning but still missing out by one point one percent. My nightmare scenario is losing, but then those results going our way where we would have gone in had we just won. Uh, so, yeah, this is uh, this is the Melbourne way. Um, the good thing you know, about the weekend, Andy, is the um, you know the the game we play at Essendon in a live game of footy. So you know the and we've got to hope you know, if all, if all the other cards don't fall away, we want them to fall. Um, we will then win, and we will be backing for Frio, um, which um, will be you know. We've been there before um, in terms of barracking for other teams. We go back to 87 and barracking for the Hawks to beat the Cats down at Cadinia Park as a famous example of, of that scenario. Um, but, you know, the good thing for the for fans is that means it's no matter what, it's going to be a live game of footy on Saturday with the full energy, 2 10 on a Saturday afternoon, classic um, footy time. Um, and good experience for the boys um, as well in terms of playing essentially another elimination final. Um, lots of lots of lots of learnings there. Um, uh, no, so, and I've already worked out my rationalisation if one of those nightmare scenarios happen and we don't get in for percentage or whatever is that at least then I'm not going to have to worry um, through the finals about us winning a grand final and me not being able to be there. So, you know, at the very least that's off the table. Um, that That's my only solace in this <laughs> whole thing. I, I was even contemplating a couple of weeks ago, this was before the two weeks, whether I do um, the two weeks in Darwin. Uh, <laughs> well, I have to convince my wife first of all, but um, uh, yeah, I was I was contemplating that spending. Uh, I've got I know a mate who who did that, and he's gone to see a few of the games. He went up to Kansas, he went to the Gabba. Um, uh, he's going to the Gold Coast uh, this week. Uh, I'm very jealous, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you would win some award, wouldn't you, for most extreme fan? <laughs> um, uh, Go ahead, George. Yeah, at the, at the end of the day, quite frankly, if we can't beat Essendon convincingly, um, when Essendon are missing Heppel, Hurley, Fantasia, Bell Chambers, Hooker, Zaharakis, Laverde and McGrath, then we don't deserve to be there and there's no use worrying about what might happen the previous week or the next day. Uh, sorry, the pre- following uh, week or, or the next day. Um, they are severely... Um, undermanned in quality 
Um, they've got no incentive to move up the ladder in any way, shape or form. Uh, they could possibly, if they win, won the game, move up uh, maybe two places if, if other games fall their way. So um, they, they're going to be stuck where they are, basically, at the end of the season. No, no um, tanking uh, allegations need to be made. Um, but, uh, yeah, if we can't beat, beat this mob, then forget about worrying about whether we're good enough to be in finals or not. We're not even good enough to beat them. Uh, sorry, are you new here or something? <laughs> <laughs> I just had a flashback, George. It's very similar to what you said before the Sydney game. Yeah. <laughs> Going back in time and um, we reset the Cairns clock. Yeah, it's the same as the uh, Collingwood game in 2017 as well. They were, they were equally um, uh, undermanned. No, yeah, well, not as bad. It's interesting the comments from Worsfold coming out um, yesterday. He's given it to the club, um, you know, whether they that gives them a bit of a lift. But, you know, do they want to see Worsfold off? They already know who their, their coach is next season. Um, they're in a bit of disarray, that footy club, and um, couldn't happen to a, a better bunch of, of um, players and team. I hate Essendon. Hawthorne and Essendon are my two most hated sides, so. Let's hope we thrash them no matter what happens. Uh, well, uh, we might not even get to talk about about this next week because we, if we miss out, that's it. But uh, what are your? We'll take one week at a time. But uh, what are your thoughts on? Uh, it's it's likely that if we if if everything falls our way, we go over to Perth uh, to play the Eagles. Uh, <laughs> does that uh, does that instill any fear in you, or we don't even talk about that? One week at a time, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and we've well, been. I'm, I'm talking about now because I, I I think we might not even get to talk about it next week. Well, you know we've got their bigs won't worry. So um, it's just like the problem for us is that um, small and medium forwards um, worry us, and they've got about six of them. So. Yeah, Liam um, Ryan will kick eight. And speaking of Liam Ryan, speaking of other uh, kicking, is I haven't um, banged on about kicking this week, but um, he is the sweetest kick in the AFL, Liam Ryan. He's a beautiful kick. And every time I watch him play, I think, good Lord, I'd love him at Melbourne Footy Club because um, he's got an incredible sense of space, um, but he's just the sweetest kick, um, perfect action uh, and doesn't miss except when he does. He literally never misses except those times he does. He's got the action that you'd want to uh, run in slow motion and show it to kids to show them exactly how to hold, how to drop a ball and how to kick and follow through. It's just utterly perfect. He's brilliant. Economical. There's no moving parts. You know, it's it's neat. The ball gets straight to foot, uh, and he gets great distance off two or three steps. He's um, yeah, he's the full package. Well, boys, I, I think we we're going to leave it there. Let's hope that uh, next week we're we're here and we're we're not doing a, a, a post mortem on our uh, twenty twenty season. Let's hope uh, <laughs> we've got something to to cheer about. Um, all right, uh, just. Get our theme music up here. All right. Uh, thank you, uh, Big Man. Uh, thank you, George. And uh, yeah, as I said, we'll be back next week. Uh, hopefully, it's not a post mortem, and hopefully, we get something to, to celebrate. Uh, catch you next week. Go, Dees. Go, Red yeah. Leg. Go, Frio. <laughs> Come on, Dees. Come on.